Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 10 of Genesis chapter 5. And we're continuing to look at verses 21 through 24. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, as I mentioned in uh, the earlier study, the previous study, um, we do not read that Enoch died. And so, a reader of the Old Testament could have read this and, and perhaps wondered, well, what does it mean that God took him? And, and yet, since God very carefully with the men before Enoch uh, revealed their lifespan and then said that they died, and God very carefully with the calendar reference patriarchs after Enoch tells us the same thing. We'll, we'll read of Methuselah's age when he died, and we'll read of Lamech that he died, and Noah that he died, and and so everyone before Enoch and everyone after Enoch in this biblical calendar is said to have died. So based on that alone, we would suspect that that it meant um, that God took Enoch um, and he never died. But we don't have to base our understanding on just deducing that because God comments on Enoch in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is recounting the men of faith, men that were saved by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and were able to do uh, many mighty and uh, sometimes miraculous things by the faith of Christ. It says in Hebrews 11, in verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And uh, God is already... Uh, informed us that, uh, or actually he says it in the next verse, in, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch pleased God, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is Christ. When we read in Hebrews 11, 
uh, as it tells us, by faith. Noah, in verse 7, it means by Christ, by the grace of God, by the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in every instance in Hebrews 11, faith is a person. Faith is Jesus. And, and so by faith, by Christ, Enoch was translated. And, and God said that he had this testimony that he pleased him. And, and that's because he had faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without Christ, it's impossible to please him. No matter what effort, uh, what um, a man attempts to do uh, it religiously uh, to to please God, he cannot possibly please him because God only looks upon those that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for, paid for their sins, and saved and and his elect people. It's why Abel, who's also in the line of men of faith here in verse four, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And we, we talked about that, how it was by the fact that Christ had saved Abel that made Abel acceptable and his sacrifice acceptable to God. Cain, on the other hand, it, it, it was impossible for him. He could not please God because he did not have faith, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, demonstrated and showed that faith by his work of atonement performed at the foundation of the world. Well, well, anyway, here in Hebrews 11, 5, God fills us in. He tells us exactly what happened to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And, and so, uh, again, the assumption that we would make, since it says, uh, of all the other men that they lived their, their lifetime and then died, but it does not say that about Enoch is correct. He never died. He, uh, he was translated. And what does that mean? Well, it means God took him. And, where did God take him? Well, where where does God dwell? Where is God's kingdom? Where does God uh, live and exist? He he is in heaven above, and man is on the earth. Enoch was on the earth. God saved him, and he walked with God three hundred years, and then at the age of three hundred and sixty-five, God saw this man Enoch, who was a child of God, a faithful man, and he took him. He he translated him, that is, he took him out of the world and into heaven. And that would require a change of Enoch's body. Enoch, since he did not see death, was not resurrected, but it was a translation. His sin-cursed, corrupt physical body was changed into a new resurrected body. And then he 
entered into heaven in a complete form. Not many people in heaven have their their whole salvation. Uh, throughout the New Testament era, God has been saving people. And when they died, their bodies went into the ground, but their souls went to be with the Lord in heaven. There, there are tens of millions of people, perhaps, that are in their soul existence with God in heaven. And there are relatively few that have their resurrected body along with their soul. Elijah, who also experienced this this being taken up, and Moses, we know, because he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he would have experienced the resurrection, and that's why we read in the little epistle of Jude that the devil argued with Michael, the archangel, and Michael is Christ, concerning the body of Moses. See, the devil didn't pick Enoch, or he didn't pick Elijah to dispute because they never died physically and and so it would be a harder um, point to make, a harder argument to argue that they should not be in heaven in new resurrected bodies. But certainly a man like Moses who did die physically should not be there was, was what the devil was saying and it's not the end of the world. It's not the time of the resurrection of the dead and, and, or whatever he was disputing. Of course, we know God does everything justly, correctly, properly, according to the law. And, and so God rightly was able to resurrect Moses. As a matter of fact, since Christ died and was resurrected from the foundation of the world and was the firstborn of the dead, well, there's nothing to say that God couldn't resurrect someone's body at any point. Yet, God had a salvation plan to work out. It, it had to unfold. It, it had to take place over the course of many thousands of years of history. And and so God uh, worked it out so he would save the soul of the individual first. And he would leave the person in their corrupt, sinful, physical body so that they could function and operate in the world as a messenger of the Word of God. And there is no way God could save someone in both soul and body and leave them on the earth. We saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were shining brightly as the sun, or Christ was, and you cannot have perfect creatures in soul and body uh, mingling with people in the world who are dead in soul and body and, and seeing corruption in body. It, it just would not work out for the carrying of the gospel. And, and so God kept man after salvation in their physical body that would see corruption and eventually die. And he had promised that at the time of the end of the world, he will resurrect their body and they will have a completed salvation. But again, it wasn't feasible 
it just uh, could not have been worked out any other way. Yet, God, from time to time, would save a person in their whole essence, body and soul, their whole being. And he did this for his own particular reasons. In the case of Enoch, it appears to be to illustrate the rapture that will come at the time of the end of the world when there will be elect living on the earth and and then God will take them up and and they will be translated just as Enoch was translated the greek word in the book of hebrews translated uh, <laughs> translated as translated it uh you know that's that's a little awkward but the greek word is strong's number 3346 and it's found also in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7, verse 12. Well, let me read from verse 11 so we know what it's talking about. Hebrews 7, verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now, the the word changed in the first part of the verse, the priesthood being changed, and that is, Christ was not of the tribe of Levi, therefore, uh, he 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 needed to be a high priest, but he could not be of the tribe of Levi. There was nothing said about priesthood concerning Judah. So God necessarily made a change in the law with Melchizedek. He had Melchizedek enter into history and remember in that battle. And then, then Abram offered up ties to Melchizedek and Levi was in the loins of Abraham. And so God makes the point that the lesser offers to the greater. And and so the priesthood of Levi was a lesser priesthood than Melchizedek. And Christ came after the order of Melchizedek. But we see there how careful and how very stringent God is concerning the law. God will not take an action without there being scripture to support it. That is, God would not just say, all right, uh, Jesus is of a different priesthood than Levi. You know, if he did that, we would probably not even realize it or know it. But first, God has to lay precedent. He has to establish a precedent for another priesthood. You know, um, I don't know much about law in our modern day, but I do know that lawyers are very concerned with precedent when they make their arguments. They review past history 
uh, whether it be the Supreme Court or, or civil disputes or anything like that, a criminal case, they, they look to support their argument for some past precedent in law that, that took place in some other case. It could be a hundred years ago. And, and that's the idea. They do that to establish there is legality for what they want to say for their defense argument. And so the Bible does recognize precedent here with God making a change of the law by having Melchizedek again enter into history. And, and you know, when you read that account in, I think it's in Genesis 14, he just appears out of nowhere. There, there's no past, uh, discussion of him. Uh, he, he just suddenly shows up, ties are offered to him, and then he disappears. You don't read anything about Melchizedek until Psalm 110 and, and then in the New Testament. But it did what God wanted it to do. It established precedent for a different order of priesthood than Levi. But anyway, that we're looking at the, the word translation that here is used or translated as change for the priesthood being changed. 3346 in Strong's Concordance. There is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now the second word change is 3331. And that is also found in Hebrews 11.5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. The, the word translation is the word uh, change back in Hebrews 7.12. So both words they're slightly different Greek words, but very related, are used here in Hebrews 11 and in Hebrews 7.12. It means to change something. And, you know, when we um, have a Bible study or when we have a message that we want to get out far and wide in the world because uh, the world is is just full of Various languages, and God, of course, did that at the Tower of Babel. He confounded the languages of the world, and and so a great number of people speak Chinese, a great number speak Hindi, a large number speak Russian or Japanese, and and Spanish, and Italian, and French, and so forth, and we speak English. And, And so we do a study or we have a track, and that track must be translated. That, that's actually a very good word for it. The words have to be changed. They, they have to be turned from English to Spanish, or English to Arabic, or English to another language. So there's actually a changing of the word. So it appears in another form. And once it appears in another form, then people who speak and identify with that particular language can understand it. And yet it has been changed. And that's the very idea of what happened to Enoch and and what God did to the law. He changed it. 
there was a variation made. Let's also go to Acts chapter 7, where this word is used and translated a different way. In Acts 7, it says in verse 14, we'll start in verse 14. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. And we know, based on the historical account, that that seven-year famine, because in this same chapter, in verse 11, the seven-year famine is called great affliction, and the two Greek words, megas, philipsis, are the very two words translated great tribulation in Matthew 24. And we also know from the ages of Jacob when he appeared before Pharaoh, when he entered into Egypt, as as this is telling us of the entry point into Egypt, Jacob was 130, and at the same time, Joseph, his son, was 39. And both numbers broken down are 39, 3 times 13, and 130, 10 times 13. The the focus on 13, because it's at the 13,000th year of Earth's history, 1988, that the spiritual famine, that the historical famine in, in Jacob and Joseph's day pointed to, will occur, and the Great Tribulation will begin. So, the information here in Acts 7 spiritually relates to the time of the end of the world. The entry into Egypt points to the Great Tribulation. And and so, verse 15, Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, uh, the father of Shechem. And the two English words carried over are the word translation or translate. They, they were translated out of Egypt over into Shechem. And, and in Shechem, that's the land of Canaan. It's the promised land. So it's a picture of, again, near the end of the world, at, at a time related, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and 17 is the number that identifies with heaven, but um, he, he lived there 17 years, he died, so did the fathers, they were carried over, they, they were translated from Egypt that typifies the world, to Canaan, which often is used as a picture of the new heaven and new earth. So you can see how God, in using that particular word that that is used of Enoch, here in Acts 7, in this context, is picturing what it means. Enoch was in the world. Enoch was carried over into the kingdom of God, which Canaan typified. Only in the case of Jacob and his sons, or, or they were called the fathers, the patriarchs of the tribes of Israel, 
only in their case they died. And that's the typical, that's the normal case for a child of God, and it's the case for a great many that live in the world and have died in the world, and and they're in heaven uh, waiting for the resurrection of their bodies. Uh, but, of course, Enoch is looking at a different aspect of it. Uh, Enoch relates to the elect still living, still alive on the earth when the final end comes and, and it's time to leave this world. Now, let's just look at one last place where the word translation, 3331, is used in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, beginning in verse 25, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing. That's our word. 3331 in the Greek, it signifieth the translation of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So, signifying the removing, the changing. And God does use the, the idea when he destroys the world that he's changing it. He's changing it when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. It's as though it's been changed. It is now made new and perfect once again. It is a restoration, in a way, of the Garden of Eden. But, of course, God has destroyed the first world, and and, and it's gone forever. It's burned up by fire, but... This word here is used in connection with the the removing of those things that are shaken. And so too will our physical bodies be removed from us. I don't know how God does it. I don't know, um, when Christ comes and, and, and he takes up his people and we, we go to be with the Lord, uh, how he changes us, but he must remove the flesh, the blood. He must remove the workings of sin in our physical bodies, our bodies that are diseased and, and seeing corruption and going to death. He, he removes the body and he equips us. He, he changes us and gives us a new spiritual body. Perfect and without sin, and eternal, and just um, far superior to our old body that is gone forever. It's removed from us. It's removed from God. It'll never be found. It's just gone. God has changed us. And that's what he did with Enoch. He, he changed him when he was 365 years old. 
Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.